This is the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm J.D. Layton. I'm Emily Moshek. Only on 90.5 KCSU, Fort Collins. And welcome to the Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins, your local news talk show. I am one of two news directors here at KCSU. I'm J.D. Layton. I'm joined in studio by the other news director. I'm Emily Masak. Hello. As well as our local reporter, Mia Sawaya. Yep, I'm here. Hanging out, ready, enjoying this nice rainy (laughs) Thursday afternoon. All right. Well, we actually have a bit of a special segment. Our local, or our field reporter, Raven Kohler, had the opportunity to sit down with an internationally acclaimed Argentine artist, Mauro Gianconi, and sort of probe his brain for what makes him tick. We're going to dive right into that interview now. The University Center of the Arts hosted an artist talk in late September featuring Mauro Giaconi, an Argentinian artist based out of Mexico City. His work was part of an exhibition called Spatial Flux, exploring the use of space in two-dimensional art. I spoke with director and chief curator of the Gregory Alisar Museum of Art, Lynn Boland, and Giaconi about his art and his time visiting CSU. My name is Mauro Giaconi. I'm from Argentina from Buenos Aires. I've been living in Mexico City the last seven years. I am a visual artist trying to work with drawings almost all the time, but also I used to work with installation, with sculpture, video, all that kind of medium. And what brings you to Fort Collins? Well, I received this invitation because I'm part of this exhibition, Special Flux, which is a selection of works of Joan's Gonzalez Hike collection, which I'm part. And they invite me to do studio visit, beam here in the exhibition. And I also going to do a lecture about my work, about my process, and about other projects which I'm involved in the last years. So I'm kind of nervous. <laughs> what are you going to be speaking about in your lecture? I will try to start talking about my first years after I graduated. I think that it's important in this context to talk about that. And then I will try to explain a little bit the develop of my work. And then I also will present a few projects with I'm involved and are two different art uh, spaces in Mexico City running by us, by artists, for artists. So I will be trying to talk about those experiences and the needs of those experiences. I mean, why we start doing that and where we are doing it until now. Your piece that's here is Atlas of Our Time. Do you want to describe that piece and what it's about? It's a drawing made on different pages of old atlas they found in an old bookstore. There is a thing about atlas and maps which is full of rules and limits and those kind of things. So my first intuition was delete all those rules and territorial limits. And then what I did was just like a very thin drawing, erasing. Well, I delete the maps with graphite and then I delete the graphite with an eraser. So the line, the drawing is made with an eraser. So it's some kind of free transit around this territory. So it's a way to walk like very freely in this map. What was the inspiration for the piece? 
Actually, the inspiration for that piece is the map itself. It's the material that I have been working for a while at that time. This piece is from 2013, and I was working with a different kind of books, but maps were almost always part of those books. And there is some some kind of interest in this uh, this idea of pertinence and idiosyncrasy and identity and also there is always a political issue around this idea of frontier, about this idea of borders, limits, that kind of things. Trying to think how to talk about that issue in a very free way. What inspired you to use books and maps as a medium? I don't know, I think that books are a very common everyday object but also hold information there is part of us is a version of the story. So I think that dealing with that version and transforming that version is a way to do my own version of that story, of that content. And map, as I say before, I think that there is some kind of political intention in this idea of using map because my family is from different countries, so I think that it's part of also my identity, don't have just one identity. What's the value of bringing art from, an artist from a totally different part of the world here to Fort Collins or vice versa? Well, that's just essential. That is so critical, not just for our students, but also for the community. We have a global perspective, but we are a little bit off of the beaten path. So to be able to bring people like Mauro here, we spent the morning with students, we spoke with classes, things like that are just an invaluable opportunity. To have any really established, successful professional artist speaking with them, but especially if it's international artists, it's just a question of access emphasize enough what it brings. It's a different perspective and there are, even as we become more global generally and within the art world, there's still regional differences and different ways of thinking about art, different ways of approaching art. And quite frankly, some of the most exciting things happening today are coming out of Mexico City. So to get that perspective, especially when, you know, in the United States for so, so long, it's New York and then maybe Los Angeles. New York kind of declared itself the capital of the art world following Paris in the 20th century. There's still some truth to that, but there's a greater distribution of art centers and bringing such important things to the table. More than ever outside of New York, things that connect outside of art's own world. It's been an issue with art for centuries at least, if not millennia, if not from the beginning of time. And I think it can be particularly true in art centers that are driven by commercial factors. And that's not to say that every artist doesn't need to make a living. There are always financial elements. It's different when the commercial galleries and collectors are driving the direction of art and when art communities are driven to serve those communities. And that's what's particularly appealing to me about looking outside of New York. Yeah, for example, I didn't have that experience at my school. Well, at my school, we didn't have a museum. The school was very small, so they didn't have this opportunity to bring people from other countries or other contexts. And I know that the effort that they are doing is huge. So I think there is something 
and they believe that there is something. And I think that the piece that is here is not an, a Mexican drawing or an Argentinian drawing. We are in America. As Alfredo Hart says, this is not America. America is the continent. So we are all over the same territory. I think that this piece match with that idea of bringing someone to talk about that in a way. And I appreciate being here. The CSU dance folks are going to be responding to your piece. I wasn't being involved in that process. I'm very excited to see what they are proposing. There's a new chair at the dance department who offered a new class looking at abstraction and choreography. which had an exhibition with an abundance of different purchased abstractions. So she began using the exhibition for classes and class responses and really gravitated to Mara's in particular because such a powerful experience that we invited her to do it for this program so that we could share it with people. Ongoing programs that bring together the different things in this building. Some of the most exciting ones are these organic things that just happen because of the shared creative space. How do you think artists can respond to like a drawing, but in a different medium like dance or sculpture, things like that? I think that the biggest difference is the process. How to approach an idea or to an image or concept. I think that all those disciplines like have different way to approach to that. But at the end, I think that it's pretty much the same intention. The difference can be the tools that you have to deal with that, the tools that dancers use, the own body and the other body and the space and the influence. And it's ephemeral. It's something that you cannot hold. That is very important in that kind of process. When you are making a drawing, even if it's ephemeral, will be there mostly for a, for, for a long time. In this case, I think that is very different because uh, of the result, but the process can be like very similar because for me, this line is a walking line. So it's also physical, even if it's conceptual, or I imagine a, a body doing that. Are there any other comments about the event here today or your work or anything like that that you want to add? For me, it's an amazing opportunity to talk, to show my work, in this context. For me, Joan's Gonzalez Heights collection is very important. She loves what she does and mm -hmm. she supports artists and art and she's very generous with the art scene. For me, it's very important to be here and I'm waiting to see the dance. That performance, I think that will be like a very nice experience to see and to live. This has been Raven Color reporting for the Rocky Mountain Review only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. That was a special interview segment by our very own Raven Color with Mauro Giacconi. I'm, I'm fairly certain I'm mispronouncing his name for the second time on the show, but that's okay. I'm I'm trying. <laughs> it was pretty close. It was pretty close. It's hard, it's hard to say, because he is from Argentina, so it, yeah. I feel like without his lovely accent, we will never will be able to quite sound <laughs> correct. Yeah, and uh, the art itself sounds fairly fascinating, the idea of using graphite on atlases and then sort of erasing the graphite and sort of erasing those boundaries. Oh, very deep. Yeah. A lot very, of negative space play. Oh, yeah, very artistic, very outside of my realm of doing I would definitely bungle it and end up dirtier than the art itself. Yeah, but it was good. And he was at CSU a few weeks ago, so it was really awesome to be able to have him here on campus. All right. And on that note, I think we'll transition into local news. I'll start us off. The Fort 
Fort Collins has decided not to support a new dual reservoir project starting in stating an unwillingness to draw from the already taxed Poudre River, reports Nick Coltrane of the Coloradan. The city council voted, voiced concerns over how the river would fare while feeding into the two reservoirs, a part of the Northern Integrated Supply Project. City of Fort Collins watershed planner Jennifer Shanahan stated, We do not think the future of the river is a foregone conclusion. The final environmental impact statement broadly implies the notion of inevitable decline in the future of the river. We cannot simply simplify the future to the river in that way. The city council voted to send its non-support of the plan to the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and the final decision on the project will be made later in this year. Someone threatened to crash into the Denver Zoo with a plane on Tuesday. According to the Denver police, the threat was called in by a, quote, unidentified individual. The threat caused an evacuation at the zoo, but turned out to not be credible, according to the Coloradoan. As the visitors were being evacuated, they were not told why and were not allowed to go to their cars. The evacuation took 45 minutes, and it took the Denver police an additional hour to determine that the threat was not credible. The Denver Zoo is considering compensation for the visitors and assures people that the zoo is now safe, according to NDT News. The zoo reopened on Wednesday. What what do you do? You evacuate the animals as well? They briefly mentioned that in the article, but they didn't go into details. So I'm not sure what they do with the animals, but they did mention some sort of precaution. Uh, That's the thing I'm trying to figure out. Like, where do you you take the gorillas out next to the tigers? Is it like a Noah's Ark type of situation? You know, two by two inside area for them that's more safe or something. I don't know. Even um, whatever a month ago or so, when the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo had that giant hailstorm, there were a few animals that died. Because they got hit by the hail, but I think... Oh, my God, by hail. Yeah, it was, like, really, it was, like, golf ball-sized hail. And it actually, like, cracked everyone's windshield, so people were, like, stuck at the zoo. That's not ideal. Yeah, it's been a dramatic zoo year here in Colorado. (laughs) Oh, this is mine. See you, JV, you're up. (laughs) Now I have to find my story. Oh, no. Should I go? Go for it. Okay. (laughs) The the autopsy for the Watts family was complete as part... Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. No, I'm messing up. Oh, no. (laughs) I got you guys. I'll take this one. (laughs) All right. Sorry about that, folks. We are going back to paper instead of our usual technological route. And it's been a little rough. But, you know, we're learning. We're learning. Taking it back. Anyways, the body of the kayaker who went missing a few days ago while paddling on Buckingham Lake in Loveland has been recovered, reports Saja Hindi of the Coloradoan. The man was found about 10 feet under the water by a search boat with sonar capabilities. The body has not yet been identified, but the Denver Channel reports that the Larimer County Coroner's Office is currently working to formally verify his identity. The man was reported missing after several other lake goers who had seen him kayaking earlier in the day on Sunday saw his empty kayak floating on the lake. Police are unsure of what caused the man to go into the lake. The investigation is still ongoing, and anyone with information is urged to call the Loveland Police Department at 970-962-2259. Loveland Fire Rescue advises anyone who sees someone struggling in the water to make contact with them takes notes of their exact location, and then call 911. It is important to always have someone know where you are, and they warn that Colorado's cold water can exhaust even the most experienced swimmers. What a a sad thing to, to, you know, just want to go kayaking, and the next thing you know, 
you never come back from it. That's I know it is very unfortunate, but a good reminder to all Coloradoans that even if you think you're just doing something as simple as kayaking to kind of keep your safety, safety on your mind. Absolutely. 24 Greeley apartments were evacuated on Tuesday night after carbon monoxide detectors alerted residents to unsafe levels of the toxic gas, reports Kelsey Schlotthauer of the Greeley Tribune. Firefighters arrived on the scene and immediately began looking for the source of the leak of carbon monoxide. The leak was discovered to have been caused by a boiler whose exhaust had been knocked off. After the apartments had been aired out to remove all traces of the toxic gas, the tenants were allowed to return. Greeley Fire Lieutenant Dominic Tati praised the apartment complex's management for how new the carbon monoxide detection equipment within the apartments are. The the autopsy for the Watts family was completed as part of a request filed by the judge in the case, reports Joe Moylan of the Greeley Tribune. A copy of the report was also given to Christopher Watts' attorneys at the Colorado Public Defender's Office. The report will remain sealed until the unscheduled hearing. Watts is being charged with the murder of his wife, Shannon Watts, and their two daughters, four-year-old Bella and three-year-old Celeste, as well as the wrongful termination of their unborn child. Shannon and her daughters were reported missing in August and found dead at the Anadarko Petroleum Tank site. Bella and Castell were found in nearly full oil drums, and Shannon was buried in a shallow grave. All three were strangled. Christopher claims Shannon strangled their daughters, at which time he strangled her. He said she was angry because he told her he wanted to separate. A police investigation has revealed that the Christopher that Christopher was engaged in an affair with a co-worker. He is officially being charged with three counts of first-degree murder after deliberation, two counts of first-degree murder of a victim under the age of 12, and by a person in a position of trust, one account of first-degree unlawful termination of a pregnancy, and three counts of tampering with a deceased body. That's intense. Ugh. I, I, I wonder what, like, goes into somebody's mind as they sort of go about those actions, because it's like, you may not be, like, necessarily interested in the person you're with, but, like, why would you go out and then strangle them and your children? Yeah. Even when, you know, your partner's pregnant. It's just... And then he went on TV the next day and lied about it, asking for help to find his missing family. <sighs> Absolutely. Mental health is oh, yeah. weird. Yeah. It's disturbing, but at least he's looking like justice is going to come for those the yeah. victims. Hopefully, he has a lot of charges, so probably yeah, get one, some. One of them has to stick. Yeah. And on that note, we will be taking a quick break before we dive back into national news. Only here on ninety point five KCSU Fort Collins. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review, only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I am one of two news directors in the studio. I'm J.D. Layton. I'm joined in studio by... Emily Moshak. The other news director, as well as... Mia Sawaya, the local news reporter. Oh, yeah, as well as... Isaiah Reyes, the programming director. Right, and we'll hear more from you later, so there's a little (laughs) teaser of what's to come, so keep that dial locked. (laughs) Only a 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. But on that note, we are going to dive right into national news. Handing it off to Emily. 
Key senators in the vote to confirm Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court are criticizing the president after he mocked Christine Blasey Ford, reports Grace Seeger of CBS News. President Donald Trump was speaking at a campaign rally in Mississippi when he mocked Ford's inability to fully answer some questions asked during the hearing and claimed that men are the demographic suffering in this issue. Kavanaugh's margin to win the Supreme Court confirmation is razor thin. If every Democrat in the Senate rejects him, only one no from a Republican would keep him from the appointment. The three Republican senators who are still undecided are Jeff Flake of Arizona, Susan Collins of Maine, and Lisa Mur- Liza Murkowski of Alaska, just expressed disappointment with the president's remarks. Collins called the president's comments, quote, just plain wrong. The FBI's report on Kavanaugh was released to the Senate today, and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell maintains the vote to confirm him will happen this week. Most Americans received a presidential alert on their phones yesterday at 12.18 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. This was the first ever alert of its kind and was a test to make sure it was working. It came across the screens of Americans all over the country in a similar style of an amber alert and read, Presidential Alert, this is a test of the National Wireless Emergency Alert System. No action is needed. Many Twitter users were quick to make this into a meme, while others complained about the president having capabilities to send alerts to our phones. The presidential alert is designed to go to every cell phone in America, and citizens do not have the option to opt out of them like they do amber alerts and severe weather alerts, according to CNN. These alerts are intended to warn Americans in the event of a terrorist attack or widespread disaster. Although this is the first cell phone alert, the government has had an emergency alert system in place since the 1950s that are issued over TV and radio. Despite it being a presidential alert, the president does not compose it, but rather it is a collaboratively written by FEMA, the White House, as well as other government agencies. Some Americans did not receive the alert and were curious as to why. There are a number of reasons why the alert may not have gone through to some people, reports Wired. These include being out of range of a cell tower, having your phone turned on airplane mode, and having a wireless carrier that does not participate in the wireless emergency alert system, although most carriers do. Especially the major ones, such as AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, and Sprint. The reason for sending this alert was to test the system so that officials can troubleshoot why some Americans didn't receive the alert and can fix the issue for the next time it is needed. The main takeaways from the presidential alert are that it cannot be turned off in your phone settings and that President Trump does not actually write or send the alerts himself. Uncle Sam's trying to slide into our DMs, and I don't know if I appreciate it. (laughs) I don't know, though. I didn't get... I was one of the people without a presidential alert, and I'm a little... I'm going to be a little pissed if a little kind of natural disaster happens, and I'm the only one chilling, unaware. (laughs) I don't remember getting one, but I think I might have. So I should probably pay attention more. I think, honestly. isn't Isn't there, like, three, like, lawsuits pending this as well? Yeah, there's a couple of issues on it. I know people are all sort of up in arms honestly in reality it's probably a good thing everybody has a phone it's mm-hmm. an easy way to get into contact nobody's gonna you know f- flip on their radio and be like oh what's going on with the the, the hurricanes coming in and i don't really don't think it's going to be any different than like the amber alerts that we get although remember that time when hawaii like people in hawaii like, got an alert that they were about to get bombed and it was fake 
Yeah, no. Uh, I, that's <laughs> that crazy. one of the other concerns about it, too. But that is a topic for another time. Let's keep up okay. with the national news. Water, conversation, water conversationists and a Native American group called the Tiwa Women United think mushrooms are capable of cleaning water. An aquifer in New Mexico has been contaminated with chromium for decades, according to U.S. News. The benefits of cleaning water with mushrooms, or micromediation, are that the environment would not be negatively impacted and it would be cost-effective. An unanswered question is how many mushrooms would be required to be effective as micromediation has only been done on a small scale. Micromediation uses mycelium, which is a type of fungus that can extract heavy metals from soil and water. Lab specialists then inject the fungus into agar and wait for it to grow. The Tiwa Women United are currently trying to convince lab officials to start a pilot project to see how effectively the mushrooms can clean water. Watch out. After we sort of figure this out, next thing you know, they'll have mushroom Brita filters, and you'll just have mushrooms <laughs> growing in your fridge, keeping your water nice and clean. Ew. I'm okay with that. Organic. Organic. There you go. There you go. Hundreds of rapists and child molesters are unaccounted for in Missouri, contributing to a total of 1,200 sex offenders that the state has lost track of, according to Doug Chris of CNN. Marcel Peters of The Missourian says that 63% of those unaccounted for are listed in the, quote, most dangerous category. The dilemma was discovered by state auditor Nicole Galloway, who determined that the city of St. Louis, as well as 14 other Missouri counties, were not keeping track of at least 10% of their sex offenders. Galloway believes this issue stemmed from database problems, weak laws, and failure of local police to enforce registration requirements. Missouri requires sex offenders to register and is supposed to arrest them if they fail to do so. However, many of these arrests are not happening. Police Lieutenant Andy Binder criticized Galloway's findings, however, saying that the state does not give law enforcement the resources it needs to follow up on these sex offenders. Wisconsin and Massachusetts have also had similar problems with keeping track of the registered sex offenders. Colorado follows a similar system as Missouri, but has not had quite as large of a problem. Uh, it just seems like something you shouldn't misplace or lose. Yeah, definitely. Um, when I was reading up on it, they basically said that the only way they can keep track of sex offenders that aren't registering or failing to complete their registration would be to go find them door to door. And I guess, according to Binder, the police department down there does not have the resources to do that. So you're telling me we're, we're keeping track of sex offenders by like an honor system? Well, they are supposed to register. But if online, they and that's even in Colorado too. You can register online. You have to give a bunch of information about yourself, so that way, if you're a sex offender and you move next to someone, your neighborhood will be alerted that you are a sex offender, things like that. Um, but a lot of them don't register because they don't want to be associated with what they did. Oh, that's that. That's not right. No, definitely not right. But at least they have that audit out now with all that information. So hopefully, they'll start finding a way to fix it. Well, that wraps up national news for us on the Rocky Mountain Review. But we're going to go ahead and hand the mic over to Zay to talk about National Coming Out Day. And College Radio Day. And College Radio Day. It's a a two-for-one special here on the Rocky Mountain Review. Yeah, that's nice. So College Radio Day is just a day to kind of... uh, be proud of that fact that we're a college radio station, and it's a way to join in with other college radio stations around the country just to celebrate 
our nonprofitness and how we all are unity and that we all have some place in our community and we do better for the community and we try to make the community more informed. So College Radio Day is just a day to kind of celebrate that all across the country. So for College Radio Day, we will be having DJs in the booth. We won't be having them, unfortunately, be 24 hours, but it'll be more like, ah, rough estimate, I would say about 16. That's so a solid amount. Yeah, it's about two-thirds of the way there. So I feel like it's pretty good. And it, it's not only not the early eerie hours of the morning. So, I mean, 3 to 9 a.m., we won't have anybody, anyone in. But after that, we will be filled with people and beautiful voices of our college DJs here at the station. So please make sure to tune in for that one. And what day is College Radio Day? College Radio Day is actually tomorrow. Tomorrow. Wow. So if you're here now with us at KCSU, you better be here with us tomorrow. So yeah. keep that dial locked indefinitely. Yeah, we got some good stuff tomorrow, too. We got some, uh, I think some volleyball games are going to be happening tomorrow uh, around, I think, 7 p.m., I would say. Yeah, and then we're going to have some great shows with uh, – Silent G's Punk It Up, always a good one to tune into if you haven't heard that one yet this semester. We're also going to have, um, the other shows elude me right now, I, I, I don't know, but they're all you great, You gotta listen to find out, you gotta yeah. listen and find out. That's There's a, a mystery and you have to solve it by listening. It's KCSU. Yeah, come celebrate College Radio Day with us though, it's a good time. Woo, it helps us, just yeah. kind of remind us why we do what we do. Exactly. Uh, but the other thing I did want to talk to you all about is that National Coming Out Day is approaching. Actually, it's one week from today. Next Thursday. Yes, next Thursday, October 11th. We'll be celebrating that alongside of our partners with, at the CSU Pride Center. Uh, we're going to be allowing people to come out on the air, actually, and share their story with a phone call or in person if you are a CSU student. We want to celebrate all the identities of our listeners, so if you'd like to share your, de- or share your coming out story, make sure to call us here, 970-491-5278. And again, that's in a week from today. Or if you want to just participate and celebrate all the beautiful identities of the entire student embodiment here, or our local listenership, just tune in and just kind of help raise the awareness and lend an ear to people who haven't really been heard from too much. Very cool, very cool. I'm excited to see what we have. We also have uh, some special interviews from that day, if I am not mistaken. Yes, we do. Um, still in the works for confirmation, but we should have um, the director of the Pride Center coming over here to hmm. kind of give advice for students who maybe have not come out yet and are struggling or students who are out and just need some help or about how to be an ally to um, your LGBTQ friends if you are not. Yeah, and, and there's a couple of other great things that are also going to be happening. Uh, the Pride Center's 20th celebration. So they've been in business now for 20 years here on campus, so that's amazing. And they've been a great resource for students all around. So if you ever feel like you need a safe space to go to, the Pride Center is located in the Lori Student Center, and you can always just stop by for a couple minutes, and I'm sure they can always lend an ear. Also, on that same day, we are going to be talking about Matthew Shepard. Uh, he died fighting for his beliefs in a Fort Collins hospital. Shepard was not native to the area, and he was born in Casper, Wyoming. When he came to Fort Collins, two men posed to be gay to gain his trust to lure him away from a local bar. They, pursued a, they proceeded to beat Shepard to death and left him, dead, t- left him for dead tied to a fence. Due to his death, his parents created the Matthew Shepard Foundation, whose mission is to replace hate with understanding, compassion, and acceptance. And we here at KCSU would like to recognize all victims of these crimes and let them know you also have a safe space here. Definitely. And that um, is also what the UCA play, the Laramie Project, Mm -hmm. which our music director, Monty Daniel, um, has helped been a part of. 
is going on right now still. Yeah, it's every, it's been the past two weekends. I think this is going to be one of their final weekends. One of the final weekends. Okay, yeah. but along with that, if you'd like to learn more about that, the UCA's play is definitely a great resource. Mm-hmm. And on that note, I think we will wrap this up and take a quick break before we move on to our sports segment, unless you have anything else you would like to add. Uh, we'll be tabling all day also up in the plaza. So if you want to just come by and hang out for a little bit, maybe share a couple laughs, we're going to be with the Pride Center as well, playing queer music on uh, the plaza all day from at least 10 to 2 p.m. We'll maybe see if we can stretch that a little bit longer. But we're going to have some games. Food's going to be there. We're going to have, I think, the big coming outdoors. We'll have a KCSU tent. So we'll be, we'll be bringing shade if it's raining or something like that. You might want to huddle underneath that for five minutes. <laughs> so just, yeah, stop by. Come say hi. Grab something to bite. And maybe come down to the studio and share your story if you feel so. Awesome. So Righteous definitely stuff. that will be next Thursday, October 11th. Mm-hmm. And if you just want to give KCSU a little love, we'll be broadcasting all day tomorrow for College Radio Day. Yes, ma'am. We are going to take a quick break before we dive right back. So keep that dial locked. Only here on 90.5 KCSU for cons. And welcome back to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. This is the Rocky Mountain Review. KCSU's news talk show. I am one of two news directors here at KCSU. I'm J.D. Layton. I'm joined in studio by... Emily Moschak. The other news director, as well as our local reporter... Mia Sawaya. And our sports reporter... Tilo Lopez. And on that note, we're going to hand it right over to you, Tilo. All right, so in sports this week, we got... CSU coming off a bye week in football. Their next game is at San Jose. Uh, currently last in the Mountain West with that 1-4 record. So after this bye week, we'll see what adjustments they made to turn the season around, hopefully. For volleyball, their record is now at 11-6. and six. They lost to Fresno State and Wyoming, both 3-1. to one And back-to-back, that was the first time they dropped back-to-back uh, conference games. Since when was it? Oh, was it about like two years ago, three years ago? No, I think it's been way longer. I think it's been oh, really ten. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been a while since they lost back-to-back conference games. Um, they have Air Force on Friday. The game is at 7 p.m. in Moby. So go support. And for soccer, they also play Air Force on Friday. But that game is at four, and that's a, the CSU so- uh, yeah, soccer field. Their record is at four, five, and three. They did beat Washington, I mean, excuse me, Utah State 2 nothing in Utah. So they'll look to turn it around. And in professional sports, the Rockies are playing right now. They are losing 2 oh. nothing. Oh, no. Oh. It is Rocktober. So. It is Rocktober. <laughs> they just won, though, right? That was a wild card game, yeah. They won 2-1. Okay. That was a wild game, but yeah, we'll be rooting for the Rockies in this one. At least... Speak for yourself. Let's go Bo Sox. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> but yeah, that's all for sports. And that is our sports update. I think it's time we got a little music in here. From a certain special someone. Whoa. Mia. From me. <laughs> <laughs> we have... Thank you for today. By our very own Mia Sawaya. Yep. Only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins.
Death for Cutie released their poetic album, Thank You for Today, this August. The band has been making music for two decades. Throughout their albums, Death Cat for Cutie has sustained a harmonious balance between their calming vocals, poetic lyrics, and introspective sound. Thank You for Today focuses on the aftermath of divorce by discussing the inevitability of change. The album starts with the reminiscent song, I Dreamt We Spoke Again. This song explains a dream where two ex-lovers meet, but when the dreamer wakes up, he cannot remember their conversation. The lover's relationship is not part of reality anymore, so the only way to remember their time together is through dreams. When We Drive introduces a method of dealing with the loss of the ended relationship with the lyric, I can't expect you to be honest or to be faithful every day till the end. I just need you to be always a friend. Although the relationship is over, the feelings are not quite gone, which is why friendship is an option. The lyric's understanding tone gives the song a feeling of acceptance as the ex-lovers start dealing with their new reality. The crimson ocean of sky by my side when we drive when we drive towards the end of thank you for today the song you moved away explains the absent fell in a city when a friend moves away the friends feel betrayed and the vacant apartment seems empty to the singer this imagery explains how we associate buildings with our memories and the good times we had in them. Thank you for today, Death Cab for Cutie explains that the permanence of change forces us to deal with it. From the Rocky Mountain Review, I'm Mia Sawaya. Thanks for listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review, 90.5 KCSU's News Talk Show. I am J.D. Layton, one of two news directors. I'm joined in studio by... Emily Machak. As well as Mia Sawaya, our local reporter, who also did such a lovely music segment on Death Cab for Cutie. Yep. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and we have them on our, playing in our rotation, right? We do. They are actually currently in our rotation. So if you liked that... You can always come and hang around, because there's a good chance you might hear it again, and again, and again. again. Stay here all the time, folks. You never, can never, never leave, ever. Never. You're stuck in your car. Especially if you're a Death Cab for Cutie fan. We yeah. just... Yeah, we got you. Yep, we, we do. do. We got you covered. <laughs> so, I think it's time we had us a bit of a roundtable. 
Yes, we are going to have a discussion. If you weren't here about 20 minutes ago, I'll refresh for you. But Missouri is having a bit of an issue keeping track of sex offenders in their state. And what that means is that when someone is convicted as a sex offender, they're supposed to register themselves as a sex offender uh, so that people know if they move into their neighborhood, that they're living near one or things like that, or if they're within a certain distance of a school or anything like that. But they're having a problem is a lot of sex offenders are not registering themselves, which what is supposed to happen is they would get arrested for that. But because Missouri supposedly has so little financial resources, they don't have enough law enforcement to really enforce this at all. So they aren't keeping track, able to keep track of those sex offenders who are refusing to register. And Colorado actually uses the same system that Missouri does, correct? Um, I believe so. I'd have to do a little more research. I'm sure there are a little different technicalities. But if you do go um, onto Colorado, like if you even search just sex offender registration in Colorado, you will see information about it. And um, if you are, a place for you to register. So realistically, we could see a similar type of scenario happen within Colorado itself. It's possible, yes. Scary stuff. It is scary, definitely. And it was even um, in Missouri, they have about 1,200 sex offenders unaccounted for, and 63 of those are in the most dangerous category. So that's actually like rapists, child molesters. Mm. And then I guess less dangerous would be more like people that were naked in public or something. Not that that's, I don't know, any better, but you know what I mean. Yeah, and and we know that this is sort of a a pertinent and prevalent topic. Uh, So if you guys want to call or text in to sort of give us your opinion and weigh in on what's up and, you know, maybe solutions or just comments on it, you could always call or text in 970-491-5278. Once again, that number is 970-491-5278. So first off, the thing that sort of strikes me as the most ridiculous about this whole situation is the fact that uh, there's there's even a capacity for these these types of individuals to sort of fall off the, the scope of, or radar of uh, you know, the state government, you know, the fact that they have to register to sort of be uh, in contact with the state or the state to sort of keep an eye on them. It, the fact that they have to register the, the sex offenders, not yeah, like. I don't really understand. Like, wh- is it not like on a permanent record of some sort that people can check? Yeah, it's exactly. not public, I believe. Oh. When I was looking at like the law enforcement and state can see it, but you can't just like go look up. Sex is that offenders. just to like unless for there's job one reasons like near you. I think it's because um, yeah for job reasons or I guess if it was more of a misdemeanor you know and you don't okay. really want that information out there about you uh, that's kind of the reasoning behind it I believe it's a little bit of a privacy thing but um, you are alerted if a sex offender moves near you yeah. or is in your area you just don't know who specifically I think they might. I think they oh, do they tell, tell you, you okay. when you, it's so actually. You know. I would have to double check, hmm. but I believe they do. It's just that until then, like you can't, like the Colorado Sex Offender Registry does not have that open to the public. Hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like that's something you ought to like have in place. You know, sort of a system that you can keep tabs on these individuals that doesn't require them to sort of self-register something that you know as as, you know it happens it's like oh yeah we know this person you know did 
some heinous sexual action or something like that. So maybe there could be like a private uh, permanent record or something. Yeah. yeah. Like something like that. Maybe. I know. I don't really understand. And I'm sure there Just must be some sort of thing or reasoning behind that that we're yeah, not Maybe aware we're of. missing something. But, but um, it sounds weird. It is odd for sure. And it's not even just Missouri, Wisconsin, and Massachusetts have also had problems with this as well. Yeah. It, well, that's, that's, that's like five states that are like losing sex offenders. It's like... You, yeah, I mean, it is bizarre. Although I guess, I don't know, it's kind of like, like they're not necessarily not tracked down. Like they still have their names. Like Lieutenant Binder said, they could go door to door and kind of force them to register. But I guess they're not in the online system. But it's not like they're totally off the grid. Like I, from my understanding, they were still aware of kind of where they are. Or okay, like that I they're... definitely took it as they were just like gone. I mean, like... it's possible, but I think it's more just that they're not registered in the online system. Still, though, I definitely feel like having a more prolific state database on those. Probably. Oh, definitely. Yeah, but it's not quite like I'm sure the police department would be able to find them. If they had to, they just aren't because they are saying that they do not have the time or resources because the state will not give them that. So the problem goes down to funding for officers then. That's what the police department is saying. Okay. Yes. Okay. Because that's what he, he kind of responded to the audit and said, we don't have the resources to track down these sex offenders. And the well, if audit. Well, they're tracking them down like door to door that costs a lot of money so that yeah, would make sense that but would. i feel like they just need a better system altogether exactly. so it's less cost effective right but he did say he's like there was never any financial changes proposed along with this so it was just kind of like here's all the problems and that's it hmm. god it's still ridiculous i wouldn't i wouldn't want to gamble with that which it appears to be exactly what is happening no it is terrifying especially because 63 percent of them were considered dangerous as in Actual rapists or child molesters. I know. So it is terrifying. But I I did try to research, and Colorado so far has not had an issue like this. Well, that's good. At least not on this scale. Let's hope Colorado keeps in key with that. Yes, definitely. But it is something to be aware of and definitely something that needs to change. Yeah, keep your your eyes peeled for things like that, folks. You don't want to stumble across anything heinous and... Pretty, pretty seedy. I don't... Talk I, to your neighbors. Yeah, talk sure to your neighbors. Cool. True. Very true. That's the message of this. <laughs> yeah, definitely. This has been a, a public service announcement from the Rocky Mountain Review. Yep. Sex Stay offenders, safe. not good. Stay safe, kids. <laughs> All right. I think we're going to take a quick break before we come back to everybody's absolute favorite section of the Rocky Mountain Review. I know you're on the edge of your seat, and you're going to get even further on the edge of your seat because weather's coming up next. Only here on 90.5 KCSU, Ford Collins. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am J.D. Layton, joined in studio by the other news director. Emily Moshak. As well as our local reporter. Mia Sawaya. All right. Are y'all ready for the best part of the day? Of every Tuesday and Thursday, yep. it's weather. There was, <laughs> yeah. I was like waiting for a response. And I was, I couldn't tell if you were trying to go for the long yeah. suspense or if you were waiting for us to say something. It was a bit of both. But I was trying to read your face and I kind of read it. The, the, yeah. the, Good the job, stoic Mia. persona. Stoic. 
That's like the last thing you are cheating. <laughs> <laughs> you already know what the weather was like for today. It, it was, rained. It was raining. It was a bit chilly. You know, it was, uh, it's fall. It's definitely getting into that season, and I don't think we'll feel the warmth of the sun for many moons. <laughs> it is supposed to be cloudy for like a week and a half at least. And yeah, exactly. But you want to know how your Friday's looking, and I have... Some unfortunate news. Unless, of course, you love rain, because there is a good chance of rain. At least it's not going to be too terribly cold. A high of 67 and a low of 38, and this weekend is not looking much better. Cloudy on Saturday with a high of 53 and a low of 40, and on Sunday, a high of 50 and a low of 35. Monday, prep yourself, because there's a good chance you could see a... Mix of snow and rain. So we're going to start getting those first flakes of the winter season coming in, tickling your snowboarding fancy. <laughs> your adjectives just amaze me. Sorry, continue. <laughs> Tuesday, though, you're going to have to wait and listen then. Yeah. On the Rocky Mountain Review. I can't believe it's going to snow. I can. This I is, to- this is the most Colorado thing that it could okay, do that's in true. this case. But I'm not ready for it. I wouldn't Stay be away, surprised snow. if somehow we went through this weekend, Monday rolls around, heavy snow, No, see, I snow. just I just started drinking my pumpkin spice lattes. I am not ready to transition to peppermint mochas. I'm not oh ready for God. that. I'm not ready yet. That's where your mind goes? Yes. <laughs> Starbucks. It's bad. That's kind of how I organize my year. It's like, by <laughs> what Starbucks drinks I'm getting. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh no. It's terrible. You just all learned a horrible fact about me. And Sorry. now you know Emily's dark, dark, dark truth. Yep. She I'm is a addict. fiend for seasonal beverages in the worst way possible. Yep, that's me. And on that note, I think it's time <laughs> we thank our reporters <laughs> for all their hard work in which they've done. I'd like to thank Katie Otter, Mia Sawaya, as well as Raven Color, and Tilo Lopez for delivering us all the great content that we use for the Rocky Mountain Review. We couldn't do it without them, and we definitely appreciate everything they do. And we want to thank Zay Rays for reminding us that it's college radio day tomorrow, which means we're going to have DJs on all day tomorrow. So if you don't get the gist yet, tune in to KCSU tomorrow. It's going to be rainy and bummy, so you might as well listen. Yeah, listen to the radio. Get a little cozy under a little blanket with your pumpkin spice latte and just listen to KCSU and celebrate college radio. It'll be great. You monster. (laughs) And also... Turn in, tune in. I keep saying turn. It's a problem. Tune in next Thursday because it is National Coming Out Day and KCSU is here to support the LGBT community. So it's important and don't miss that. Additionally, I'd also like to thank you, Emily, for all the work you put into the show. Aw, thanks. I want to thank you, JD. Oh, well, I feel so special. We thanked you, right, Mia? Yes, you did. Oh, good. I was <laughs> thank like, you guys for letting me be a part of this. Oh, Aww. no. We always Yay. love the extra voice on air. And thanks to our audience. Listeners, not audience. In. You're not. You Thank you to everyone us. who's ever existed. Yes. Yeah, no. Thank the world. Thank you. We are the world. <laughs>